There you are. I've been looking for you. What's going on? This is episode 63 of the Best Thing Podcast. And in this episode, I have a really fun conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Lindsay Pollack. She is the author of the new book, Recalculating Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. If any of you have experienced any type of disruption in your career throughout this pandemic, this conversation is going to be one you definitely want to listen to. And she also shares a little bit about her experience as a resident hall advisor in college and what she learned from that experience. Hey, I want to hear from you. Every single week, I send out these fantastic, I'm biased, but these fantastic text messages that are inspirational, motivational, motivationable, and actionable. Uh, send me a text message at 310 310- Five six four seven one two four and get in on the goods. People love these. I think you're going to love them as well. Once again, text me at 310-564-7124 and you'll get some text messages directly from me. And hey, some really cool news. This episode is brought to you by my good friends at Fairytale Brownies. Fairytale Brownies at brownies.com has been providing an unforgettable corporate gifting experience since 1992. Listen, with delicious brownies, cookies, and blondies baked with the finest all-natural ingredients and hand-packed and custom-designed boxes, each gift is an exciting, one-of-a-kind experience. Each treat is certified kosher and individually wrapped for freshness, Fairy tale brownie ships worldwide and gifts ship free within the United States. Make sure you visit brownies.com or you can simply call 800-531-5209. Once again, you can call 800-531-5209 and use the code BEST10, BEST10 altogether, and you can receive a 10% discount at check out. All that information is in the show notes. Once again, visit brownies.com and use the code BEST10 to receive a 10% discount at checkout. Okay, without further ado, let's get to episode 63 of the Best Thing Podcast with Lindsay Pollack. Welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where we talk to thought leaders, creatives, authors, and entrepreneurs about how sometimes the best thing to happen to you is the most unexpected. Welcome your host, Antonio Neves. Hey everyone, welcome to the Best Thing Podcast, where I talk to people about the best thing to happen to them that doesn't include the traditional markers of success. I'm your host, Antonio Neves. I'm the author of Stop Living on Autopilot, a speaker and success coach. Each week, I bring on a new guest who has a powerful story to tell that will motivate, inspire, and help you see life through a new lens. This week's guest is someone I've been a fan of for quite some time. And a few years back, when I first saw her deliver a keynote speech to thousands of people, I was blown away. I mean, from the moment she hit the stage, she had the audience wrapped around her finger. And let me tell you, as a speaker, that is not easy. Lindsay Pollack is a New York Times bestselling author and one of the world's leading career and workplace experts. She is passionate about helping individuals and organizations navigate and thrive in the ever-changing world of work. She is the author of multiple books, including The Remix, 
how to lead and succeed in the multi-generational workplace and becoming the boss, new rules for the next generation of leaders. Her new book, which I am very excited about, is called Recalculating, Navigate Your Career Through the Changing World of Work. Guess what? This book is available now and right on time for all that we have experienced and been through. Lindsay Pollack, welcome to The Best Thing. You make me feel so good, Antonio. I'm such a fan of yours. I loved your book. We met a while ago. That is just such a kind introduction, and I'm so honored to be here. Yeah, it's all the truth. It's fun. I like reading these introductions. I like to <laughs> hype myself up, hype the guest up, because you know if you're going to be on my podcast, these are people that I look up to and I really um, I can, I've learned a lot from. So I'm glad you're here to join me. I want to start with this question, Lindsay. Uh, during the pandemic, COVID, people have gone through and experienced so many challenges. Some people are talking about gaining the COVID-15 or COVID-30. Of course, there's been hardship on other sides. You decided to write a whole book during this. Uh, as an author, I know the publishing process typically is not as fast as this. How did that come about? It has been such a difficult time for so many people, more than a year now. We never thought we would be here. Um, I have definitely packed on some pounds. I have a little bit of a peanut M&M situation going on that I freely admit to, and I go for walks, but it's certainly not enough to uh, to keep off the M&Ms. But um, I'll, I'll go back to March when everything hit and early April. Um, I'm a professional speaker like you. That's my jam. That's my passion. I usually did about 70 to 80 live speeches a year. I was on the road a lot, which, by the way, I think COVID might have been my fault because my New Year's resolution for 2020 was to travel less. So I got my wish uh, in a backhanded way. Um, and I was in New York City, which was a really scary place to be at the beginning of the pandemic. And I lost um, about six figures of speaking income in the first month. My calendar went from totally stacked to totally empty. And it was terrifying. Um, I had some consulting gigs that uh, kept me through, which I'm very grateful for. And I'm a big fan of having multiple streams of revenue. Um, but I was frightened. And I didn't know how long it would be until the speaking came back. And my first instinct was to reach out to friends and talk and help other people. And so I did a lot of free webinars at the time. And I fully credit my literary agent, Michelle Wolfson, who called me um, in May. We actually been emailing about something totally different. I saved the email where she said, I feel like you could write a book right now. Because like, I think she didn't want to say, because you're not very busy. <laughs> And I'll tell you, I've really struggled with book titles. I don't know how, how you did with coming up for the title for your book, but they often came at the very end of the process. And this one, when she said, write a book, I kid you not, I had this image in my head, probably because I was looking out my window in New York City at cars on the street. And I had this image that all of us were driving along, minding our own business, doing our thing. And our GPS sort of malfunctioned at a certain moment and said, recalculating, recalculating, you can't go that way anymore. And that was really the birth of this book um, for college students, recent grads, anyone in transition. And I've always kind of had the um, concept of writing the book I wish I had at that moment. And this is literally, I wrote the book that I needed to get myself through the pandemic. Wow. Well, I read the book and it's absolutely amazing. Yes, it can speak to a college student, but also can speak to that, that mid-career person and beyond. Uh, like you as a speaker, I know what it's like all of a sudden to go from a, a busy calendar to a, all of a sudden being empty. It's scary. And it's interesting moments when we can choose to, to do something 
or do nothing. And I love that you chose to do something. Uh, this book, you know, I think it's going to be categorized as a career book. But as I read it, Lindsay, it didn't resonate to me as a career book, because even though there's so many amazing tactical things that you can do in this book to improve your career, I was like, this is also a personal development book in many ways. It's also a self-help book. It's a, it's a it's a mindset book. The energy is unique. How would you personally define it? Because I feel like it goes far beyond career. I am so grateful that you said that. And um, I was almost embarrassed. I've written three books before this, as you mentioned, and I don't think I talked about mindset in any of them, maybe a paragraph. And this book, it just seemed obvious almost that I had to start with mindset and self-development and really self-care in a lot of ways. And so the entire first chapter of this book is about mindset. I myself am an avid reader um, of self de- of personal development books um, and follower um, of all of those issues. So I think it kind of came out in this process. And in some ways, it was almost freeing. I think sometimes trying to just write career advice kept me in a little bit of a box. Whereas in my personal life, I've been in therapy, I've worked with coaches, I'm very interested in personal development. And I think I finally let it out in this book. And I'm, I'm really glad that I did. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Yeah, absolutely. And what's amazing about the book is that so many books are just kind of theory. What I love about this is as, as a trained journalist, it's rooted in journalism, your your approach of being research oriented. Uh, it's not just theory, it, it's actionable. You have real case studies that people can see their own lives and examples in it. One thing I really loved about the book, and you're going to like this right here, I listen to rap music. And one of my favorite rappers is this guy by the name of Rick Ross. And I just love Rick Ross. And but I remember last year, two years ago, he had this album come out and there was a line in one of his songs that as I was reading your book, I thought about it. And I bet I'm the first person that you probably heard say, Lindsay, when I read your book, I thought about the rapper Rick Ross. The line that Rick Ross said in one of his songs, and I'm going to to paraphrase it, is he says, I pray somebody tells you about these bumpy roads. I pray somebody tells you about these bumpy roads. He's talking about the challenges that you are going to experience in your life. And you write about in this book about deliberately planning for bumpy roads. Of course, no one could have uh, anticipated the bumpy road that is, that was COVID, that is the pandemic. But could you talk about, about deliberately planning for bumpy roads? I love that question. And you have to send me that particular song because I created a recalculating playlist and I'm going to put it on in your honor, Antonio. Um, I love that. You know, um, one of the things I thought about a lot when writing this book is I've been doing this work for about 20 years and I study successful people and I've never met anyone who 20, 30, 40 years into their career has said, well, it was like a cakewalk the whole way. You know, I was just like success after success. Everybody was delightful, never had a problem. That's absolutely impossible. And yet, when we plan, we don't anticipate these challenges. And I'll be really honest, I kind of took the recalculating metaphor or analogy a little bit far. I just kept thinking about all the things related to driving and a GPS. And what I thought about is, I am the worst offender of assuming that when I'm going somewhere, the driving directions or estimated time will be the lowest possible, right? Like, well, in perfect traffic on a sunny day at four o'clock in the morning when no one else is on the road, it should only take 20 minutes to get there. And the truth is that's never the case. And so I think really smart people give the longest possible amount it could take to get somewhere and they build in that extra time. And I thought, well, if you apply that to careers or life, you start to have a better 
um, sense of what is really going to happen. And and uh, I was thinking about a, a woman I used to work with in my very first job at, at Working Woman Magazine. And I remember she was so funny. I wrote about this in the book. And she always said, you know, I kind of anticipate like 35% of my day will suck. So if like 20% of my day sucks, I've come out ahead. And I thought that is such an ingenious way to live, maybe a little depressing or pessimistic. But if you think everything's going to be perfect, then everything knocks you down. But if you know that some things are not going to be perfect, you're much more resilient. That's great. 35% of my day is going to suck. That's freeing in many ways to think about that. A dear friend of mine, uh, the author and adventurer, Bassam Tarazi, he talks about this, but in a different way. And he talks about how life pretty much is an average Tuesday. <laughs> life isn't the day that you get married or you buy a home or you deliver a keynote to 4,000 people or the day you give birth or you date the day you get a raise is typically a Tuesday when not much happens. And my, 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 my thesis is how you show up on those days determines kind of where you're going to end up in life. Uh, a couple more questions before we get to this question of the best thing. One thing that's unique about this book as well is that you're not just a, an expert talking about something. Lindsay, you've also experienced over the course of your career, that you, and you document this in the book, having to recalculate um, in your work with the audiences that you speak to, we can look at the topics of your book and see how those have evolved, the different clients you've worked with over the years. Can you talk a little bit about how this was a bit personal as well for you? Because you've experienced it. Always. Um, I think I had a blessing and a curse early in my career. Um, first, I went to Australia for graduate school on a Rotary scholarship, which was an incredible blessing and joyful and wonderful and when I came back to the U.S. afterward in the late 90s, I was absolutely paralyzed because everything had been so good. I was like, well, what's next? I mean, everything just kind of happened and nothing happened. And I was really in a funk and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And it took me a good six months. It was a real period of pain. I write about it in my first book, Getting from College to Career, because I absolutely did not know what to do. So I ended up eventually landing a job at Working Woman, which truly was my dream job. It was like a hip.com, but it was also related to women and careers. It was in New York City. The salary is good. And I had this blessing. And after 18 months, it went bankrupt. And so all these good things happened and then they ended. And I kept thinking, you know, but, but I had figured it out. You know, I was supposed to coast from here. And so I think I had this very early lessons that there is no such thing as coasting. You've got to be thinking about the next thing. You've got to be building your network. You've got to be staying on top of it. And so I think where I've used that lesson is in my own business now. You know, I think about for a long time, I was known as the millennial speaker, right, or the college speaker, which I absolutely love. But millennials are now in their 40s, are going into their 40s. So I had to pivot out of that to the multi-generational audience. At the beginning of COVID, I saw that this was going to be going for a while. And I wanted to write about what I saw out there. And so I think my own, I think I've started to trust more that my own experience and questions and problems were reflected in other people. And if I wrote about them authentically, I would help other people as well. Yeah, it's a beautiful reminder that whatever we're going through, we're, we're not the first person to go through it. But also it's a brilliant reminder that I talk about in my book is that those things that we may find normal or boring about ourselves, other people may find fascinating or they can learn from as well. Uh, you also made me laugh for a quick second because it made me think back to when I studied abroad in Spain and I came back a college graduate and I'm like, world, I am a college graduate. I have returned from studying abroad in Spain. Who wants to hire me? And no one wanted to hire me. <laughs> yep, that's how it goes. I was at home in my mom's basement in Jackson, Michigan. But that's a whole other story. Um, 
towards the end of the book, what I like, Lindsay, is that it, it shifts into, I want to call it kind of, it gets a a blueprint, a manifesto kind of vibe to it. Not the crazy manifestos we hear about, but a good manifesto. And you And you point out some key things. You talk about embracing creativity. You talk about prioritizing action. You talk about control what you can control. You mentioned asking for help, but there is one one that smacked me in the face in a good way that I don't think we talk about enough. And I'm so glad you brought it up. Can you please talk to this audience, talk to me about knowing what your non-negotiables are? I love that you picked up on that one. I call them my five rules for recalculators. That's rule number four. Um, And this is about negotiation, but it's about more than that, which is I think that we make things up Like, I think I want to earn $40,000 or flexibility sounds good, or I'm going to look for jobs in a, I don't know, 20 mile radius. And we don't actually think about the reality. We don't write a budget. We don't think about what we need. Where this also comes up, which is kind of where I want to take it and let me know if this resonates. I get a lot of questions of things like, should I put the fact that I volunteered in college for an LGBTQ organization? Might that turn someone off who is not friendly to that? Should I put that I worked on the political campaign of a Democrat? What if a Republican reads my resume? And my answer is always, how important to you is it that you can be yourself? And so if you, like, uh, you know, I have a daughter, I I freely talk about being a mother. If you didn't want to hire a mother, I don't want to work with you. That's a non-negotiable for me. So it's not about what would make me the best candidate or what personal brand should I project. It's what do you really want? And I think people don't always think about that in the context of what it means for their actual life. And I think one of the gifts of the pandemic, not that I would wish it on anyone, is a lot of us have gotten a lot clearer on our non-negotiables. Do you want to travel? Where do you want to live? How much money do you really need to work? And so I hope that we take the lessons from that and apply it to our job searches or our businesses. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say super clearly is us being able to identify and say out loud what we stand for. Those things that truly identify who we are and what we are not going to compromise on. And I know specifically for young job seekers, they're afraid. They just want to get hired. Mm -hmm. Uh, And if they don't stand for those things, if they aren't clear, of course, they can find themselves in a situation where they are absolutely miserable. I like to think about sometimes when I'm talking to job seekers, I tell them to identify what, what are three things that would never show up on your resume that really tell us who you are. Find a way to bring those things up because those are the things that are going to separate you from everyone else. They're going to make you memorable and stand out. I love that. Thank you, Lindsay. So let's shift and go here and talk about the subject of the podcast, the best thing. What is one of the the quote unquote best things that happened to you that's not one of those traditional markers of success, getting married, having kids, et cetera, uh, that wouldn't show up on your resume, but has had a profound impact on who you are today? Absolutely love this question. And I love that you ask it and embody it. So I'm going to go with, I was an RA my senior year of college, a resident advisor. And it was funny because when I came in freshman year to college, I was like, who would want to be an RA? Why would you give up your senior year to like watch the young kids? Like, look lame. And by the time I was a junior third year, it was like, I absolutely have to do this. I have never felt so myself in my entire life. I was sort of like the the mom to this group of young women. It had to happen to be by gender at my college. I loved the role. And I think this is what I do now where I had to be like 
just cool enough that they trusted me, but not so cool that I didn't like rat them out to the administration when they got in trouble. Do you know what I mean? I had to like play that role. I was also a tour guide where I was like, I'm cool enough to tell you where the parties are, but also the administration trusts me to be responsible. I loved every minute of it. And it's one of those rare moments in life where I remember being in it, loving it and knowing I loved it and knowing I would look back on it fondly. So why I think it's so important is years later when I came back from Australia and I was so upset, you were in your your bedroom in Michigan, I was in my bedroom in Norwalk, Connecticut, where I had this red heart wallpaper that was like so 12 year old embarrassing. And here I was 22 in this like red heart wallpaper bedroom. And uh, my parents very generously uh, paid for me to have one session with a career coach. And I went to the career coach and she said, what's the best job you ever had? And without even blinking, and I hadn't even thought of it as a job until that moment, I said, being an RA. And she said, why don't you do that for the rest of your life? And it was like, oh, and I really think for the rest of my life, that is where I'm most comfortable is being a little older, a little bit more experienced than other people and sharing everything I knew, being trustworthy enough, being um, empathetic, being there for people. And so you know, if I can be your RA during the pandemic, that's that's exactly where I want to be. So the other fun thing about it is I think that the best thing about you or, or your experience really um, connects you with people. I cannot tell you how many people I have met over the course of my career who are like, oh, I was an RA too. And it's like, we're in a secret club of that experience. And I always end up liking people who've had that same experience. So that's my, be- my best thing. Oh, I love that. And I have a couple of questions to unpack with that. But first, I just love that career advisor, the coach that your parents hired for you. Nine times out of 10, that person is not going to say anything like that. They're not going to encourage you like that. They're going to tell you to go do the traditional thing. What an angel to show up in your life at the right time. Because if you had a different career coach, you could be somewhere else right now, Lindsay, ridiculously successful, probably money in the bank account, but simultaneously miserable. That's how people end up living on autopilot. I want to acknowledge that because it was one session. I don't remember her name. I don't remember anything about it. There are moments in your life where somebody says something and it's like the sky opens up and it just is the right thing you need to hear at the right moment. And you have got to run with stuff when you have that feeling. And that was that moment for me. Oh, hundred percent. And so I'm getting some goosebumps over here, by the way. Uh, I'm not going to invoice you for this, but I already know the title of your next book. If you choose to write kind of a memoir type book, are you ready? Ready. It's called Just Cool Enough. <laughs> so guess what? This isn't going to air you know, right away after we finish recording. So you have time uh, to go see if that URL is available uh, and buy that because I can only imagine what that book would be like called Just Cool Enough. And and I'm just curious, to, I want to riff on that for a quick second, on this idea of being just cool enough, uh, because I can resonate with that. I think I've been just cool enough. I've never been necessarily in the cool kids club, if you will. I've been always been a little bit weird. Uh, I'm finally with the trust that you talked about. As I get older, I'm acknowledging, thankfully, that I'm not for everyone. And I'm glad I'm not for everyone. So I'm curious, if, how have you been able, as you've matured, gotten older, or just embodied who you are and say, hey, I'm not for everyone and, I, and I'm just cool enough and I'm good with that. Oh my gosh, I love that. You made me cooler by telling me about Rick Ross. Um, I tend to listen to show tunes. Um, I always describe myself as popular adjacent. You know, I wasn't unpopular. I was like close enough. Um, I, I love that. Just cool enough. I think it's about being who you are. 
And so many times, and this is the work of a lifetime, I think, for all of us. Um, it's really embracing who you are. And I will tell you, and it's hard, right? Little by little. And, and you and I, when we got on the phone for the first time, it was like we had known each other forever and we went so deep fast. I think probably 20 years ago, 15 years ago, I would have been much more reserved, much more professional, much more um, uh, polite and, uh, you know, resistant to talking about embarrassing stuff. And um, I, I got some really interesting advice. I think it was from a therapist. I've always been had a perfectionism problem, right? Like I have to impress you. And what I remember this therapist said to me was, people don't like perfectionists. People don't like perfect people. Show them that you eat the peanut M&Ms, that you didn't think you were cool, that you listened to show tunes, you know? That's what's real. And as I've, and I, I think some of it is age. I really do. I'm in my 40s now. And I think it's somewhat easier. One of my favorite things about growing older is being a little bit more honest. I think it's also about being a parent. I'm curious if you think this, that you see your child go through something and you're like, wow, that's a universal experience. I've been there and I see it happening again. And wow, we're all in pain. We all struggle. So I, I think a lot of it is really about aging. And I, I wish I could go back and share that. Well, I do. This is what I write about to uh, younger people is, you know, it gets easier. And the more you are yourself, the more you will be happy. And it's just a fact. Oh, yes. As you're talking about, as you become more of who we are, it made me think about when I transitioned as a speaker to stop wearing the uniform. I used to wear the yeah. speaker uniform of yeah. the blazer and the button down. I got comfortable enough to wear sneakers on stage and jeans and a t-shirt and how much I ended up getting more credibility from the audience because they're like, oh, this guy isn't trying to be like us. He's being him. So for the last question, Lindsay, this connects to your RA experience and it also connects to your book, I think. So I think we can tie the two together. One thing I really like about your book is that it's direct. It's unflinching in many ways. It's real. I wouldn't necessarily say it's unapologetic because it has empathy, but it is direct. It's clear. And my hunch is you were a good RA because you were willing <laughs> to have tough, honest and real conversations with those young men and women you were responsible for. Uh, there weren't always easy conversations, but you had to keep it real. Then before you had to take that next step, maybe to go to administration. I also find that sometimes we can be a little bit delusional nowadays as it relates to career and life, et cetera, and people aren't making decisions. But this book is a clear call to action to not wait, to bet on you, to be proactive, make decisions. So I don't even know what the question is, but I feel like <laughs> this book is telling people to confront life, confront what's going on head on. Don't be passive and, and don't be in the, the passenger seat, be in the driver's seat. I, I love that. And I love that you continued the metaphor of the car. Um, and this is what I love about your book, Stop Living on Autopilot. It's so tactical, right? Um, I I think at the end of the day, I'm a realist, right? And and I was going to say it when you talked about your um, your outfit speaking. That doesn't mean that you can go to a job interview with IBM wearing sweatpants, right? Exactly. When, I, when I say authenticity... <laughs> It's like, you also have to know that life has consequences and there are rules. You have to play within those boundaries and be honest about what you want. Now, this is where non-negotiables comes back. I have a friend who worked in advertising. Um, he is himself. He is a guy who is just himself. And he has tattoos. And he finally decided expressing myself as an artist is more important than ever having a corporate job ever again. And he very specifically and deliberately got a tattoo up the back of his neck so that you could see it above the collar line. Because he said, I never want to get a job where that's not okay. And I respect that. 
Now, if you do want to get a job at IBM or a big advertising agency, that might not be okay. So I think you have to balance authenticity with realism about the way the world works. So this doesn't mean do whatever you want all the time. I think it's really important to always have that balance. And you're right. I think that's what an RA does is like, look, I love you. I want to support you. But also, if you don't do your homework, you will fail. (laughs) Right. So there are realities here that we have to work in the boundaries of. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, absolutely. And I think now that you say that, I have to remind myself and also remind listeners that prior to my shifting to being a little more comfortable, there were seven years of me <laughs> not doing that, making sure I was okay in that that room. Well, Lindsay, I'm so honored and happy that you joined me uh, for this podcast. You're someone that I looked at for, for so many years as just a pro in what you do. I love the words that you write. I love how you show up. I, I love that we're connected now, thank goodness, to mutual friend of ours that that made that introduction a few years back. So uh, the link to this book is going to be in the show notes. Make sure you pick it up. It is absolutely amazing. And for Lindsay, for those folks that want to learn more about you, where can they find you? Thank you, Antonio, so much. Um, I appreciate it all. I appreciate you. I'm so glad to be friends and colleagues. You can find me at lindsaypollock.com on all the social networks and RAs out there. Reach out to me. I love to meet my fellow RAs. Hey, guess what? Just cool enough is the way to go. <laughs> if, that, if that if that book comes out in the future, I hope I get a slight acknowledgement in the end. Okay. Done and done. Lindsay at justcoolenough.com. You heard it here first. Thank you, Lindsay. Wow. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Lindsay Pollock as much as I did. I absolutely loved our conversation. I want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by my good friends at Fairytale Brownies. Fairytale Brownies at brownies.com has been providing an unforgettable corporate gifting experience since 1992 with delicious brownies, cookies, and blondies baked with the finest all-natural ingredients and hand-packed in custom-designed boxes. Each gift is an exciting one-of-a-kind experience. Now, each treat is certified kosher, and it's also individually wrapped for freshness. Fairytale Brownie ships worldwide, and gifts ship free within the United States. Make sure you visit brownies.com or call 800-531-5209. Once again, you can visit brownies.com or call 800-531-5209. And make sure when you check out, use the code BEST10, 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 and receive a 10% discount when you check out. All of this information is in the show notes. Make sure you visit brownies.com. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Best Thing Podcast with Antonio Neves. Join us next week for more stories that'll help you see the world through a new lens. For more resources, go to theantonioneves.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you share with a friend and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.